Well, thanks for being here at DHC. Um, I just want to let you know you came on a very special day um, because about two and a half years ago, some of us decided to kind of set out on a journey and begin a new local movement in our community, and that was Downtown Harbor Church. And so we were so excited that this would kind of culminate in today as we would look at this idea, this topic, this series, whatever you want to call it, that we've been talking about called The Big Story. Because one of the things that we did at the beginning of this year is we just kind of sat around. And by the way, for a minute, you might see a Bible on a chair by you, or maybe it's on your chair. If you don't have one, or you want a new one, or you're tired of looking at your scripture on a mobile device, feel free to take this with you. We want you to five-finger discount this. This is okay with us to do that. But one of the things that we did is we set out last year and the beginning of this year is we started to ask some questions. And so if we were you, and you were sitting there, and you had heard maybe some of these names for any length of time, one of the questions that we would ask if we were you, or maybe even I might ask, is, hey, how does this all tie together? From beginning to end, how does this actually all flow and work together? Because around here at DHC, we talk a lot that this all kind of culminates, this big story culminates in the Messiah, who would claim to be the Son of God, who would die and then rise again three days later. His name was Jesus. And so if it kind of centers around Jesus, but we've talked about all these people, how does this all tie together? Well, the last eight weeks, we've been diving into this idea together called the big story. And so let me just take you on a little journey down memory lane because we started talking about creation. We started talking about how God created the world and everything in it, and that was the beginning of the big story. And sure enough, God created human beings. They were given the names Adam and Eve. And then sure enough, Adam and Eve would have a descendant. And their descendant's name was Abraham. And God said to this guy named Abraham, Hey, Abraham, you are going to be the father of these people. You are the father of this group of individuals. And these individuals are my chosen people. They will be blessed. Well, as we continued to go on, we discovered that Abraham had some descendants. And one of Abraham's descendants' name was Joseph. And some of you may have heard of Joseph before. We hold up these props because they signify different things related to these people. And Joseph actually was the son of a guy named Jacob, who was his favorite son, the scripture says, who was given a coat of many colors. Some of you may have seen his musical on Broadway before. And sure enough, the events in the life of Joseph would lead to the ancient Israelites, those blessed people being enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And God would call a guy by the name of Moses to the task to go to the leader of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, and say, hey, Pharaoh, I got a message from God, the God of these people, let my people go. And so we spent a week talking about Moses. And then sure enough, we talked about a guy who was a king, one of the most fiercest warriors to ever live. And actually, the scripture says that the Messiah would come from the house and the line of this king, and the guy's name was David. And when we took a look at the life of David, we took a look at a guy who loved God with all of his heart. But you know what? David just wasn't perfect. He didn't have it all put together. He made some mistakes, and he paid for those mistakes. And David actually had a son 
And one of David's sons' name was Solomon. He had this son with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. It was their second son together. And Solomon was a writer. And Solomon wrote about two things. Solomon actually wrote about love and wisdom. And I got to tell you something. That was a really powerful message. So if you have not caught up on any of these messages, they are all available at our website, SoFloChurch.com. Probably my favorite one of the series so far was the message of Solomon. And then we talked about a very powerful woman. And then we talked about a powerful woman who showed courage, who showed courage in a time where women were oppressed, and especially young women, when they did not have a voice, she stood up for her people, and her name was Esther. And then last week, our prop department went to a lot of trouble to give John, as he gave his message, a good prop here. I don't know where we got this thing, probably along the side of the street. But anyway, this is what we gave John. John talked about the life of a guy named Daniel. Daniel, who stood in conviction for what he believed in and would not pray to the king who demanded people pray to him, but prayed to his God, stood in conviction, and then was tossed into a den of lions, and God protected him along the way. Well, that brings us to today. And that brings us to a point in time where in the scripture, God went silent. God went silent for about 400 years. And a lot of us don't understand that detail about the scripture historically, that there was 400 years of a gap between God and his people, at least what was documented, right? But sure enough, throughout every single person that I mentioned, throughout every single person that I just brought up, every single one of them had a role in being a descendant from the very beginning. And the descendants of the ancient Israelites, it was said from the house and the line of David, would come the Messiah, would come the person who was God. And should we believe in him should we say yes to believing in him and inviting him into our life, that he would forever change our life and that he would ever change us from the inside out and that should we believe in him that we would be made right with the creator of the universe, his name was Jesus. The culmination of this big story. And so one of the things at Downtown Harbor Church, if, you've, if you're new around here, you've been around here for any length of time, let me just give you some insight. The people at Downtown Harbor Church, we like to do one of these things. We like to celebrate. It's just one of those things that we enjoy doing here at DHC. We stand by it. We believe in it. And today is going to be no different because we are going to be able to celebrate the life of Jesus here at this local church. Those of us who are stepping along this journey together, side by side. Because this Messiah has been prophesied about for a long, long time. And as the scripture kind of shifts and we enter the New Testament of the big story, the prophecy was about to come true. The prophecy was about to come true. This Messiah was set to arrive on earth to walk amongst his people that he created in a miraculous way that we probably can't ever wrap our minds around or understand. But one of the things that we've been doing, especially with all the people that I just went through, is we've been looking at some kind of traits or characteristics or some history in their life. So we said, why would it be any different with the life of Jesus? 
Some of you have heard this before, and this might be some repeat information. For some of you in the room, you are hearing this for the very, very first time, but we wanted to give you some insight into the life of Jesus and the actual physical human life that he lived on this earth and how important what he did was. Well, first of all, one of the things that Jesus was, was this. He was born of a virgin. And you know, we've talked about this around Christmas time, right? This is hard to believe. This is difficult for us to wrap our minds around, especially because his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, had not yet consummated their relationship. They weren't married. But sure enough, the scripture tells us, and if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to move a little quick, but you can in Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, while they, meaning Mary and Joseph, were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And it goes on to say, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room. By the way, I love that this version, this translation of the scripture uses the phrase guest room, like right, like right, right where you do not want your in-laws to be in your house. I'm just kidding because mine like listened to this online. So I love you, Frank and Diana. That's a joke. Okay. But because there was no guest room available for them, Mary and Joseph, too humble, normal everyday people gave birth to the savior of the universe. And you know what? It wasn't a myth. It wasn't something that didn't happen. This was historically documented. Shepherds saw him. Angels confirmed it. The wisest people on the planet followed a star to see this newborn king, Jesus, as he made his arrival to earth. The risen prophesied Messiah was born of a virgin. And then another thing that he did on this earth, which hadn't happened, right, was he performed miracles. No human being was able to do this. Jesus was the only one who was able to actually perform these. And they were, people saw this. People saw what happened. Miraculous things were starting to occur. Things that shouldn't have happened, happened. Things that were impossible became possible. And in the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it documents his very first miracle. And it says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And really in life, is there ever a bigger tragedy than this? Okay, and I just bring that to the surface here. And on a side note, allow me to just bring this up as well, because this is debated a lot amongst Christian circles, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I have the microphone, so you got to listen to it today for a second. A lot of Christians will say, well... This is grape juice, and we found it in Welch's and aisle six in Publix. I don't believe that one bit. Wine is wine. That's just my opinion, okay? So what happened was, is when the wine ran out, Jesus took water. And you know what he did? He turned water into wine. He kept the party going, made the impossible possible. They did so, right? And this goes on, chapter, verses 8 and 9. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Historically, theologians, scripturally, this wine was said to be the finest wine that was ever tasted. 
This was not three-buck truck at Trader Joe's, okay? It was not. This was, Jesus had turned this into the finest, sweetest thing that these people had ever tasted. Jesus performed miracles, but he didn't stop there with turning water into wine. No, he fed 5,000 people at once. He rose people from the dead. This guy was doing things that no one should have ever been able to do. The risen prophesied Messiah. And then one of the things that Jesus did that I think is so interesting and so powerful is as he was born of a virgin and as he performed miracles, he then called others to follow after him. Called others to follow after him and he said, hey gang, just drop what you're doing and come follow after me. Now I don't know about you, but if I was standing along Broward Boulevard, right out here, okay, and if you're not from Fort Lauderdale, you don't know where Broward Boulevard is, it's kind of one of our main drags here. If I was standing along Broward Boulevard and somebody, just based on what we've seen Jesus to look like in all these Christian paintings and stuff, came up to me and said, hey, drop everything you're doing, come and follow me, I'm not sure I would go. Who are you, I would say. Why would I follow you? But listen, in Matthew chapter 4, it says this, it says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon. His other name was Peter. They like to change people's names around in the scripture. Jesus did that a little bit. I'm going to talk and just stay with me for a second. I'm going to talk about Peter next week. And if you know anything about this person, you know exactly what this means. And if you don't, don't miss next week because I can't wait to unpack it with you. But Jesus was walking along there, saw these guys, right? His other name was Peter and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, hey, that's what he said. Follow me. I will make you fishers of what? Men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And there's only one reason that I can see that someone would leave everything that they're doing and go follow a random stranger. Because he actually was God. And he actually was the Messiah that had been prophesied about for centuries. They could feel it in him. He was who he said that he was. So they dropped it all and said, okay, I'm going to follow after you. And the last thing that he did when he was on this earth, at least we're kind of summarizing here, you know, because I only got about 30 minutes because he did a lot more than what I'm putting on the screen. One of the last things that he did was he had to die so that we could live. None of it mattered if he stayed dead. Because if he stayed dead, he was just a guy with good advice. But when he rose from the grave, he proved that he was God. And so in Mark chapter 8, he told his disciples that he was going to have to do this. And by the way, his disciples, these people who followed after him, they were not happy about this. They didn't want this to go this way. They were waiting for a king to rule with an iron fist. That's all they knew. They didn't expect a humble person who was rooted in love and restoration and redemption. So in Mark chapter 8, it says this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. We celebrate that event at a time that we call Easter, which is coming up in about a month, right? But today at Downtown Harbor Church, we're going to talk about an event that in the last two and a half years 
we haven't talked about yet. It's one of those events that really we've probably heard of at some level, even if you have no experience in the local church. But at Downtown Harbor Church today, we're going to talk about what preceded Jesus' death and crucifixion the night before, the Last Supper. And we're going to talk about what he said to do, what he told his disciples to do at that one event. See, because a lot of us don't know what they were doing at the Last Supper. We may have heard that term. We've seen the picture, right? We've seen that picture before. But actually what they were doing is they were celebrating something. And it's something that the Jewish people, the people of the Jewish faith, celebrated consistently in their history. They were celebrating an event called Passover. And this actual event, I'm going to unpack in just a second. But this event was actually the last meal Jesus would have with his followers. But what would happen is, is Jesus was about to change Passover forever. So let me unpack this with you for a second because I want to go back down memory lane, which is why I talked about Moses earlier. Moses was the person who was chosen by God when his blessed descendants were enslaved in Egypt to go before a ruler and to say, let my people go. If you remember back to our third week, we chose this lawn frog as a prop because it was one of the plagues that God sent upon ancient Egypt. And the final plague was the killing of the firstborn in Egypt. And God actually instructed his people, hey, if you are one of my blessed descendants, take blood and put it over your door so that when my spirit infects the homes of the people of ancient Egypt, that it will pass over your house so that you may be spared. And the Jewish people would celebrate that event annually for their history. And Jesus was about to change all of this because Jesus was, don't miss this, this is so key, right? This is, this is, this is everything. Because Jesus was about to say, you are no longer going to celebrate that event no longer will you celebrate that event. Only now will you celebrate me. Now, Jesus, <laughs> I, I know we saw you perform miracles. I know you've said some crazy stuff. I've, I've been eyewitness to what you're doing. But you have just committed blasphemy against our faith. Celebrate you and not this event that we've celebrated forever. How could that be? right? It would be like, and seriously, gang, it would be like us saying to ourselves, okay, Christianity is no longer going to celebrate Jesus at Christmas time. Billy Graham, who just died, he's the new Jesus at Christmas, right? I mean, think about that. We would go, well, that's, not, that's not something that we understand. But Jesus was about to prove to them when he would die and rise again why those events were actually very true. And very real, because he would change everything forever. And at Downtown Harbor Church, one of the things that we've taken our time on, and what we've tried to do is we've tried to educate folks on, is what these events mean. We've tried to walk them through some history based on where Jesus and his disciples came to at the Last Supper. Because we at a church yet have yet to participate in what Jesus called us to do in those moments. But here's one of the things we said 
late last year. We said that we think people who've engaged with us for a long time are beginning to understand and beginning to process and beginning to think about just things differently. And people have made commitments to following after him. Basically, we're all ready to understand these events fully and to follow the commands of Jesus at that one event. So in Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 21, this is what happened. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Hey, Jesus, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? That thing that we celebrate, where do you want to have that meal? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. The time for me to go and die is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. This is powerful, gang. Don't miss this. It says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. I love this, don't you? I love this version that Jesus is just kicking back, knowing that tomorrow's it, right? This is it for him. He's just reclining at the table. It's like basically being on a flight, and they've said brace for impact. And you're going, well, things are good. Things are great, right? So he's reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And one of the things that we just encourage you to do is kind of dive in deeper a little bit. So if you want to research or study or go a little bit deeper, we just think that studying the life of a guy by the name of Judas is a good idea because that was his disciple who betrayed him. And Judas, even if you want to talk about it at groups on Tuesday nights, if you're there, Judas is just an interesting person to think about. But this is what Jesus did when he changed everything. And he changed Passover forever and then confirmed it by dying and rising again, proving to be the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 26, it said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And then, it goes on to say, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Take this bread, and when you eat it and you celebrate, remember me. Take this drink, and when you drink it, remember me me. He had his final meal, the Messiah's final meal. He commanded his followers to do that. And one of the things that we talk about around here at Downtown Harbor Church is that when Jesus commands something, we take him seriously. We take it seriously when he says to go out and love your neighbor as yourself. We take it seriously when he talks about taking care of widows and orphans. We just believe in what he said and the commands that he gave his followers. So today, at Downtown Arbor Church, and guys, I just got to tell you, first service, it was just a very powerful time together. We're going to participate in our very first communion. What Jesus called us to do, taking the bread 
and eating it and remembering him and taking the drink and drinking it and remembering him. So I'm actually going to ask the band to come back out because I'm going to talk about how we're going to do this and what this is going to look like. And um, so here's just one of the things that I just want to say first because we don't want people to just misunderstand this. The scripture does say, hey, listen, some of you are still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing and you don't necessarily have it figured out yet or maybe you're still wrestling through it and that's okay. The, the, the communion ritual, participation in, remembrance of, whatever you want to call it, um, is for those who have said yes to following after Jesus. And so if you've done that in your life, then you should definitely participate in this ritual. And if you haven't, um, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to lead a prayer in just a little bit and maybe today is your day. Maybe today is your day when you say to yourself, yes, I'm finally going to invite him into my life. I'm finally going to say yes to following after him. I'm finally going to say, I don't understand it all, Jesus, but I believe that you are who you say that you are. I'm with you. And so then here's what we're going to do. We're just going to have the band play a song. And right where you're at, and by the way, if you want to reach down, you can see them. They're at the feet of your chairs. There are these little communion cups there. Okay, you can grab those. And I'll just kind of be funny for a second and talk about a couple of things. Um, so we are probably the least churchy church that I've ever been a part of in my life. And so we just are open to admitting that. And um, I said to John, I called my buddy, he's the executive director of the church. I said, hey, can we get these for the communion week? It's probably be the easiest way for us to do this. We're a portable church. And he said, yeah. So he called me back. He goes, do you want to know what they're called? I said, what? He goes, fellowship cups. And I go, of course they are. Because why wouldn't Christians name products they produce fellowship cups? Anyway, um, they're a little bit difficult to get open to. So don't spill it all over yourself. We had a little bit of that first service. That's all right. Um, Here's the deal. The band is going to play, and we're not going to take this all at once. The song's about three minutes long, and so what we're going to encourage you to do is right when you're ready or you feel comfortable, if you're ready to participate in eating the bread and drinking the wine, it's not actual wine, it's just juice, but to remember who Jesus is, then you participate whenever you feel comfortable during this next song. And then... Some people would ask me, okay, if we're not going to take it all at once, what do I do for the next three minutes? Well, that's up to you and God. And what I love so much about that moment is that that's just going to be for each of us to determine. So I'm going to be right over there, and I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. And maybe that will give you some perspective. I'm going to remember who Jesus is and what he did. I'm going to think about this big story that culminated in his life and his death and resurrection. I'm going to pray and thank him for what he did for us. And then being honest, because at Downtown Harbor Church, one of the things that you'll never see on this stage is a lack of transparency. I'm going to lay what I have going on in my life down at his feet. Because the truth is, is that every single one of us has something going on. Not one of us is perfect. Some of us deal with different things than others. And what I love about Downtown Harbor Church 
is that this is a group of people who is walking through each one of those issues together. This is a group of people who is walking side by side with each other saying, we will hold you up in life. We will never give up on you. We will never give up on each other. That is why we are all here. And so if you are not yet a part of this family and have not engaged, just know these are some of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. And this moment is a culmination of us celebrating the Messiah and who he is. That's why we did this. That's why almost three years ago, a very small group of people said we're out we got to do something new because we care about each other and love each other so lay it at his feet and in the next few minutes we're just going to do that and so i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to participate together and i'm going to come up and i'll close the message allow me to pray jesus we are so thankful for you thank you for giving your life Father, first of all, I just want to pray that if there's anybody in this room who's never said yes to you, that they would open their heart right now and just in their own mind, heart, body, they would say, Lord Jesus, enter my heart in life. I don't have it all figured out, but I believe that you are who you say that you are. I know that you, God, are hearing and answering that prayer because I've seen lives be changed in this very room. And then God, help us to remember. Help us to reflect. Help us to celebrate you and who you are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.